Welcome to Sliding Doors, the podcast that delves into the decisions and moments that shape our lives. I am Jenny Becker, and throughout my life, career, and relationships, I've always been fascinated with the notion that everything happens for a reason, alongside my love for the 90s movie classic, Sliding Doors. Have you ever really thought about those moments that shaped your life? Those decisions that could have gone either way in the opportunities presented to you? What if you had taken that job or told that person in high school how much you liked them? Each episode, I will talk to some amazing people from all walks of life and chat about their sliding doors moments. We will reflect on how a decision or moment changed the course of their lives and how things might have looked if they had never happened. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. My guest today is Bradley Walsh. Bradley is an actor, comedian, television presenter, singer, and former professional footballer and really needs no introduction. He started his working career as a jet engineer at Rolls-Royce and after becoming scouted one day whilst playing a county football match, went on to become a professional footballer for Brentford FC. However, after an unfortunate injury, he ended his football journey. Bradley stepped into the world of entertainment as a blue coat for Pontins, but his big break came at the Royal Variety Show in 1993 and really the rest is history. His entertainment career has featured everything from sellout stand up comedy shows, over 30 years in pantomimes, and going full circle hosting the Royal Variety Show. His talents don't stop there, as in 2004, Bradley became a household name playing the lovable rogue Danny Baldwin in Coronation Street, and since then has earned the title of actor taking on major roles in Law and Order and Doctor Who. Bradley has and continues to present some of the most loved TV shows, including Wheel of Fortune, Blankety Blank and The Chase, and in 2019 joined his son Barney on their show, Bradley Walsh and Son, Breaking Dad. If that wasn't enough, he also is a well-established singer with two top 15 albums under his belt. 
He is a true national treasure. And with such a varied and successful career, I really cannot wait to chat to Bradley all about his sliding doors moments. So welcome to the podcast, Bradley. Hello, Jenny. Thank you. That was great. Wow. No. I've forgotten all of that. That's just, that's age for you though. You there just, you go. You know, to get all, to cram all that stuff in, I guess. But it's lovely. It's nice to hear it all, yeah. No, I mean, that was one of the hardest introductions I've ever had to do because you've done <laughs> so many things. I could have gone on even longer. Um, and you're also the busiest person I think I've ever known. Um, you're always on our TV screens and really appreciate you taking the time to that's chat okay. with us today. It seems that I'm on your screen all the time only because we... I cram everything in a certain area of a year. And so uh, we make 210 chases a year, wow. 16 celebrity chases, 16 beat the chases um, and stuff like that. And we, but we cram them in. It's only actually 86 days recording. Wow. So out of 365. So uh-huh. you can imagine I have loads of times off. But what that does is then that allows you once, you, once you've got your bedrock of shows set in, what that does, that allows you then to go off and do things like uh, the Darling Buds of May, uh, Larkins is the name of the new yeah. series. And that's, a, and that's a 14, 15 week shoot. And then you need five to six weeks on the road for Breaking Dad. So it's quite that, the, the chase and stuff like that allows me to do the other stuff, which I, I really want to do. Not that I don't love doing the chase. The chase yeah. I mean, it's amazing. And I think the last time I spoke to you, you were sat in a field in Kent filming somewhere. So is that kind of what you've been working mostly on at the moment is uh, the Larkins? Yeah, yeah the Larkins. Um, been working on that since the end of March and just finished now. And uh, so I've got, and when I have time off, when I say I've got time off, I don't actually have time off. I have meetings and I have um, personal appearances that I have to make and, and stuff like that with other things that I've got going on. So uh, it's it's quite tricky to juggle it about. But you know what? A couple of years' time, I won't have to do any of it. I'll be retired and that'll be it. Lying on a beach somewhere. So what? Please, God. <laughs> so what do you do then when you've not got anything? It must be quite hard for you to relax because if you're such a busy person, do you ever chill? Do you watch TV? I watch a lot of TV. Okay. I watch an awful lot of TV, but I watch mainly things... I, I don't watch what you would call as TV that everybody watches. Yeah. What I watch is if, if say the Jungle shows on, but the, the, yeah. I'll watch that. Or if it's, or if it's say Britain's Got Talent or something, I'll watch that. Or Strictly comes on, so I'll watch that. Yes. So, but the rest of it, I don't watch. What I watch is um, documentaries, mm-hmm. like ancient ancient Egyptians and stuff nice. like that. I, mean, I love all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Pharaohs, uh, Romans. I love that. I'm a big hit. I love history. So, yeah. So Amazing. It's- well, it's good to know that you do chill and you're not just on the go all the time and yeah, superhuman. No, no, I do, I do okay, too. good. So we spoke about all the amazing things you've done. You're such a multi-talented person with your singing, acting, presenting. You're a footballer. Is there anything that you're not good at? Yeah. Go on. Uh, I've been asked a couple of times to go on Strictly and um, I'm not a dancer. I, th- I mean, here's the trick, right? Here's the trick of doing stuff that you can get away with. Uh, be, be, you've got to be brutally honest with yourself. You, yeah. have to be, you do not say, for instance, if one of my old acting friends used to say to me, Brad, you should try Shakespeare. Shakespeare is great. The comedy world. I don't understand Shakespeare. Yeah. I, if, and if you don't get it, you can't sell it. So, True. and if you, if you don't, if you can't dance, you can't sell it. No matter mm-hmm. how big a showman you are, you just can't do it. So stick to what you know best. Um, although, I don't necessarily know the things I do. I know best. I just get, I can get away with them. You know what I mean? I yeah, think. no, I know. Are you a good dad dancer then? 
I don't think you even think I'm a good dad dancer. I think I'm a bad dad dancer, which makes things even worse. Yeah. Well, it's good to know that you're bad at something because you're so good at everything else that you do. Um, so do you actually, I mean, you're someone that seems to really give your all and love everything that you do. Are you just someone that that's like your philosophy in life, that you throw yes. your all into everything? Absolutely. There's no point. There's no, I always remember the, the great Bill Shankly, who was manager of Liverpool back in the day in, in Huddersfield Town, once said something very, and I've never forgotten it, Mm-hmm. Even if you end up sweeping the roads, don't cheat. Sweep them properly. Yeah. And that's it. And that's it. You know, yeah. that's it. You've, if, you're, if you've been given a job and you've signed up to do it, do it. Don't, don't half do it and think, I don't want to do this. And if ever, and, and, I, and I maintain as well, I mean, I often tell youngsters, I've given talks and stuff like that at schools and drama colleges and stuff, and they ask, you know, what's the secret? What, yeah. What's the secret? And there is no secret. There's a very easy bit about my industry. Mm-hmm. In fact, Jenny, about our industry, you know, yeah. you well, you're, you know, broadcaster, there's a very easy, the easiest part of our industry is giving up. Yeah. That's so the true. easiest bit. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I can't do that. They won't, you know, I'm not a good enough actor. I'm not a good enough singer. I'm not this. No one's, that's nonsense. There's someone for everyone. So consequently, you know, those people that just give up, I can't be bothered. That's the easy part. Yeah, it's so So, true. So just stick with it. Don't give up, stick with it. And that's, I think, why you're so good at everything you do do because you give your all to it. Um, I mean, with everything that you've done, is there a particular career highlight for you specifically that if I was to be like, what is your proudest moment? What would you say that is? It's funny because... Some of the shows I've done, you look back and you go, wow, well, the, the, one of the longest-running variety shows was Sunday Night at the London Palladium. I ended yeah. up hosting that. One of the longest-running police shows of all time was, is Law and Order. Mm-hmm. I ended up doing the UK version of that, the lead role of that. One of the longest-running sci-fi shows was Doctor Who. I've yeah. done that. Um, uh, uh, I did, you know, The Wheel of Fortune, I did that. You know, the list is endless. Yeah. And I'm very proud of doing all that stuff because it's it's got such longevity and they've asked me to do it. But when you look back at all that and my footballing days and and everything I've done, and, and I've enjoyed most of the stuff I've done, I have to be honest with you, my greatest thing, I, I never forget, I was in pantomime yeah. at, at, at Milton Keynes and my son played my sidekick. And really? he was like he was like eight. Oh. <laughs> and I taught him, I taught him to deliver the lines. Mm-hmm. And I taught him to and um, wow. And he came on and he stole the part that part of the show. And I remember coming down at the um at the curtain call and yeah. house, I don't know, 1600 people, whatever it was, opening night. And uh he got the most fantastic round of applause. And I was so proud to be on the stage with my son at the yeah. age of eight. I mean, I didn't start, I wasn't, didn't start until I was a blue coat until I was 21. So, yeah. so and, and then I didn't turn professional until I was 26. So for have someone to, to play alongside someone at eight and, and he's such a lovely guy. And he, and as I've said this in many interviews, actually, my son Barney is the, is the man I always wanted to be mm-hmm. because he's so, he's so laid back and so humble. And he's, you know, he's, 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 he's that's the way he is. Yeah. And then, Fast forward sort of, you know, 15 years later or 14 years later, and we're now on the road together, together. In, doing the show. 
my, I, I'd say the greatest moment in my life was, was other than my, the birth of my son and my, my children and, and my, my marriage, my, my, my wedding day, is, was to, uh, to have my son stand on stage with me delivering lines at the age of eight and absolutely completely topping me. <laughs> and um, uh, it was just fantastic. And he got the most fantastic. I, I know it, it doesn't sound much to some people, but no, the it does. The write up in the middle, like the Milton Keynes Gazette, he got. Watch out for this boy. But you know, I was so proud. I love that because, you know, as you said, it's it's so nice because I think sometimes we can think that, you know, people in the public eye are just like not human beings. And actually you're yeah. just a dad who's yeah. proud of his son, and that's the thing that you remember. And it's so lovely to hear. Yeah. And I remember the I remember the very moment, the first time he came on, it was standing with him, you know. And yeah. I he came on, said hello, buttons, hello, was it? And it was like, wow, this is just great. Oh, I love it. Well, he's he's propelled into into kind yeah. of your shoes now, which yeah, is brilliant. Yeah, he's, he's getting on. Yeah, love yeah. that. And you've also got a really big um, affiliation and love for music. Um, how has music played such a big part in your life? Well, I was brought up on um, swing music, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, from I was born in 1960, and my mum and dad used to play Tony uh, used to play Frank Sinatra all the time. And I remember going down to a gig um, years and years ago at a place called the Roebuck Inn. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget it. The yeah. Roebuck Inn in Ringma near Lewis on the A22. And, and I was doing this gig and, and, uh, down there. And I literally popped into my Auntie Iris's house. And my Auntie Iris says, do you ever listen to music, Brad, when you go down or when you're on the road? And I say, yeah. Of course I listen to music all the you know, I, do, I love music. And she said, what do you listen to? I said, well, you know, because I'm mum and dad, you know, her brother and sister, yeah. um, you know, Frank Sinatra. She said, try this. And she handed me a cassette of Tony Bennett. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and on that journey, Tony Bennett became such a big part of my life. I got to the Roebuck and I must have played this cassette. Now, back in the day, there was no M25. yeah. So you had to try, I lived in Watford and you had to drive all the way through London and to get to then the other side of London, you'd get up to the A22 and then drive, you know, down there. It took forever. And when I got to the Roebuck Inn, I remember sitting in the car park and waiting for the album to finish again. And I played really? it four or five times, yeah. And I from that, that moment on, I became big, big Bennett fan. I yeah. think I was about 22, 22. So it was 1982 maybe, yeah. Amazing. And is that kind of what made you do your own music then? Have you always kind of been quite musical yourself? Well, I do, no, I'll tell you what happened. I worked, I worked in, uh, in um, I never really sang in shows. When I was a blue coat at Pontins, I took part in the entertainment team. And, but I'd only gone up there really to sort of tell jokes and teach a bit of football. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, and I ended up in the entertainment team, but I never sang. I was all they what they used to do. They used to put music on and mime, and I couldn't ever work out really? why they were why they were miming through other people's voices. Either yeah. sing or don't. I yeah. can't. I don't get miming. I don't get it. You know, lip sync shows on telly. What's that all about? You might as well just watch the real person. Yeah. I don't get it anyway. <laughs> um, and so, uh, and and so uh, uh, after that, with the, with the when I was a blue coat, I thought, do you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna try and I'm gonna try and sing. So um, I was dreadful. Too terrible, couldn't hold a note. Yeah. Anyway, and it, um, I sort of learned basically. And then when I went to Chroma in North Norfolk, there was a there was someone on the bill who couldn't quite hit this note, 
and and it, what we, we used to be an ensemble piece. And because I was the comic, no one comics always tried to sing, but they always tried to sing with like an American accent, and it's like yeah. cheesy and like cabaret type thing. And I remember the director Bob Marlowe saying, "Right, uh, Brad, can you sing that?" And I went, uh, "I'm not quite sure." And he said, "Well, let me hear you." So I sang this thing, and he said, "Right up the front," and I was up the back. Me and a little guy called Terry McMahon. He said, "Up yeah. the front," and I went. And this theatre only held like 350 people, but I was like, oh my I, can't, I can't sing in front of people. <laughs> can't, no, it gets up the front, and that thrown in at the deep end made. And I then worked with um, the piano player at the time, uh, and that was it. And that's how it all started. Me singing. Uh, I love that. And Tony Bennett's just incredible and all that type oh. of music, all that swing music and the, the yeah. depth and the voices. Yeah. And I think it's it's so great that you, you know, could take that passion and do your own music yourself, which is brilliant. So with everything that you've done on TV and acting and everything, what's, what's like the worst thing that's ever happened to you on a job? I was working with Joe Longthorne at the time and Barry Claymore had come to Nottingham Concert Hall to see me work with Joe Longthorne, uh, the boss. And Barry Clayman said, right, okay, well, let's, let's stick this young lad on as a comic. Let's stick him on um, with the uh, top of the bill, a real number one artist. Um, who was that going to be? Well, it was going to be Tom Jones. Wow. <laughs> I, and I said, wow. And I said, what size venues is this? And they said, oh, like 11,000 seaters. Oh, my God. And I went, oh, wow. Okay, let's do it. 11,000 people. And what I had to do was I had to go on, do my 25 minutes and do exactly 25 minutes, not a second more, not a second less. Yeah. And the Phil Baldry guy was a guy called the boss of Phil Baldry, was the tour manager at the time. And he, they put me on, they put me on and it was like, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Tom Jones in concert. Oh, 11,000 people, oh, you know, it was featuring... Michael, his musical director, Michael Morgan, hey, the Blossom, hey, TJ Horns, hey, but yeah. first, ooh, ooh, <laughs> but first, please welcome Chum's very special guest, Bradley Walsh, and I go out, not yeah. interested in a stand-up comic, for God's sake, yeah. so go out, and I was dying the death of a thousand dogs, because really? it was so vast, the stage was so vast, I wasn't used to anything, you could land yeah. the stage, and I, it was so vast. And I couldn't get around it quick enough. I couldn't do the... And in the end, I started to speed up. And when you watch a comic die, his mouth gets very dry. And, and, and you start... And you're going too quick. No yeah. one can do anything. And my 25 minutes lasted about 17 minutes. No. And I came off. Oh, God. Unbeknownst to me, it works like clockwork. Mm -hmm. Tom hadn't even arrived at the venue. He was arriving on the coach. He literally walks off, walks on stage, goes on. So I went off and Phil Bowdry at the side of the stage said, where are you going? Oh, no, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm I've got to get back out there. I went, I've got no more. He said, get out there now. He said, Tom's not even here. And I had to go out and make oh, a load of stuff up. God. Yeah. Frightening. Oh, my God. And what did that teach you? Did it teach you? I mean, I guess like, I guess everyone in their career has those moments that just don't go. It can't go right all the time. I was very fortunate because the following year I went to Blackpool. And I did uh, a summer season at a place called the Horseshoe Show Bar on the Blackpool Pleasure Beach in a show called Mystique. And I was the comic on after Mystique. And what that did, that whole run, that whole 20 weeks, taught me how to work to, how to write my own material. Yeah. 
how, which I became known for. I wasn't like a normal seaside comic. I, be, mm-hmm. I learned to write my own material there. And I also um, worked to Northern and Scottish audiences, which I'd never worked to before. And so that hardened me up. So I really sort of got it together. And the yeah. following year, I went back on the road with Shirley Bassey. And, and that was it. It's incredible. And you know what? I just I still just can't get over how many different things you've done in your career. It's so brilliant. And I guess before we start, chat about your moments specifically, so yeah. I really wanted to get you on the podcast because I've heard you speak in other interviews about sliding doors moments that you've had in your life. Yes. So I wanted to ask before we talk about yours, what's your theory around fate and coincidence and luck? I mean, you've mentioned a bit before about, you know, what the easiest thing to do is is giving up and, you know, the opportunities that it presents to you. What What's your um, ideas? I was always told, and, and this works in reverse, I was always told, look, if you play on the tracks long enough, sooner or later you're going to get hit by a train. Mm-hmm. And what that adage means is if you, you know, and, and, and it, whilst it's not a very pleasant thing to hear, yeah. what, I, what that means is something, if you stay there long enough, something is going to keep coming along. What you've got to realise is it's coming and grab yeah. hold of it, taking the ball by horns and running with it. And I think as long as you stick with it, I mean, my first manager, Tony Clayman, always said to me, just take everything that's offered to you. Yeah. Because something else may come of it. So mm-hmm. true. So, so true. true. So many people go, I'm not doing that. I'm... T- I'm too proud to do that. Pride before a fall. Just get on with it. Yeah, hundred percent. And uh, and you know, and as long as as long as you stay on it, then that's you got. And you've got to realise opportunity when it comes along. Mm-hmm. And but I think that comes from your background. I think that also comes from your your childhood and your upbringing. You know, if you're, I mean, I was brought up in the council estate in Watford. Lovely. It was fantastic. Uh, Garston, you know, we, we really had the most fantastic time and those wonderful summers when we were kids and stuff like that. But there's also a certain hunger yeah. that, you, that, that, that breeds. And I think that you you will have a certain desire. I didn't want to work. When I went to work for Rolls-Royce, I, I, I spent two years at Rolls-Royce hating Rolls-Royce. Yeah. I, I, I joined at 16, left school, and I went into their technical school um, to become a jet engineer. I started out as a sheet metal worker and went to their technical school. So all my education really came from there for four and a half years. And basically the last two years of that, being on the floor and building the engines is like, mm-hmm. oh my God. Yeah. It's mind-numbingly tedious, mm-hmm. clocking in. So all of a sudden you become one of millions. Yeah. Minions, minions, basically, you're clocking in. Every day. Every day. Yeah. Every day. So I just wanted to get out of that. Yeah. And I, I love what you said because I love the track analogy. I think it's a really good one, but I also love what you said. You make a really great point about, it is about how you're brought up. It's about the, it's about, you know, the hunger that you had. It's about your parents. It's about the life that you wanted to lead. And would you, would you say then you've been lucky in your career or would you say that you've just taken on everything and given your best to it? Luck does play a part. I, mm-hmm. I, I believe right place, right time. But also you have to recognise that, Jen. You have to really yeah. understand that that's happening. And and you've, you've got to look at it as, not as kismet, but you've got to look at it and go, you know, this is a major opportunity. If I, if I knock this back, I'm an idiot. Yeah. So you've got to take it on. You've got yeah. to do it. You Definitely. Know, you go, run with it. Run with it. Um, yeah. The, the, once again, you know, you have to know what failure is like 
to know how great winning feels. It's as simple as that. Yeah, you really do. It's such a good point. And, you yeah. know, you really don't give up on everything that you do and you're such a trier. And there could have been so many different paths in your life and the way God it could have gone. God loves a trier, Jenny. God loves a trier. Yeah, try. God loves a trier and you definitely are one. So we're going to delve right into your sliding doors moment. So your first one is, and I, f- I love this moment so much um, because when you really look back on it and piece it all together, it, it really got you to where you are today. So breaking your ankles and being let go from Brentford and going to Mallorca and entering a talent show. So Brentford are now in the premiership, which is great news. Um, But explain, how did you become a footballer then? Because I think a lot of people don't know that that you actually were a footballer before you kind of got into entertainment. Right. So I was, I was um, a local boy living in uh, Leavesden, Watford, and uh, right next to the Rolls-Royce factory, which is now the Harry Potter film studios. Ah, okay. Uh, And that's where I lived. And what I used to do is I used to play locally um, for teams, etc. I played for Watford Juniors and I played uh, for, you know, for the county uh, and stuff and played for sides. And, and unbeknownst to me, I was being watched. Yeah. And I was playing for a team called Leavesden Hospital. And Leavesden Hospital, my mum used to work there. My mum was a nurse at Leavesden Hospital. Oh, okay. And uh, I was playing there. And I scored a couple of goals. I absolutely slaughtered this back four. I mean, I was I was pl- I was really quick. I was very yeah. quick. I was a winger, but I was just playing as anyway. I was really quick, and for that sort of county level, I was I was all right. I was a decent player. Anyway, um, after the game, a guy called Dave Bromley came up to me. He was the groundsman and scout at Brentford, and he said, uh, "We've been watching you, by the way." He said, "Fantastic. Can you come and trial for us?" On Monday evening, we're playing Southend United. And I said, uh, of course, no problem. Yeah, great. And he said, good. He said, well, I'll be there to pick you up. He said, I'll, yeah. pick, you up at, I'll pick you up at five. I said, okay. I said, I've got a job, though. He said, no, we know. I said, oh, okay. I said, but, well, I'll see if I can get off early. So he said, so this is on the Saturday. Yeah. Within an hour, it's completely gone out of my head. Really? Completely gone out of my head. <laughs> So I've now, after football, county football on a Saturday afternoon, you go straight in the bar, you go and have as much drink back in the day as you can yeah. get down here. This is in 1977, don't forget, 1978. Yeah. You can get as much drink down here as you possibly can. Then what happens is Sunday morning, you get up and you play Sunday morning football. Football, yeah. And then you, well, this is what you used to do, and then you go... <laughs> Then you'd go and have Sunday afternoon on the drink. Then you'd go out Sunday night because there used to be a disco at Rolls-Royce Sports and Social Club. There you go. Life made. And then you'd, you'd get up. You'd get up and you'd go to work all day Monday. And then that's it. So I was sitting in my mum's house on the Monday having a whole weekend on the drink and having played two games of football as well and yeah. working all day. And uh, there was a knock on the door. And my mum come into the house, the room, and she said, Brad, there's uh, someone at the door for you. Go to play football. And I went, oh, Christ. Oh, blimey, yeah. And it was my old pal Bobby Booker, who was also yeah. from Watford, who went on to play for Brighton and Sheffield United and Brentford. And uh, they were in the car waiting for me. He went, come on. So I got my bag, which had a load of dirty kit in it and my dirty football boots, sat in the back of the car, fell asleep in the back of the car <laughs> on the way to the game. I was introduced, got into the change rooms at Brentford, Old Griffin Park. He said, right, you're starting. You're starting. I said, oh, okay, fair enough. So I put me, put me, um, 
put my boots on, put my kit on. My boots were filthy. All the lads took the mickey out of my boots, introduced myself. Now, back in the day, there were a few players sitting there having a cigarette. Yeah. It was so different then. So different. And uh, so we went out and played. And I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened, but I absolutely played out of my skin and I scored. Amazing. I scored. scored, so good. I scored the winner. I think we won 2-1. Straight after the game, I've gone up, I've come into the director and the manager at the time, and he said, follow me. And he walked up these big, dark oak wooden staircase to the boardroom. And you're like, oh, I've got a hangover. Like, what's yeah. he doing? And he said, and he said uh, do you want to play for Brentford? And I went, sure. He said, sign this. And I signed. I literally signed. Wow. I signed for the rest of the season and then again for the following season. So I had two seasons. Amazing. And at that moment, at that moment, were you like, okay, I'm going to be a professional footballer? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's exactly, that's, that's what it was. And then strangely enough, um, other teams found out and they, they started to come in for me again. And I'd already played at Watford Youth and stuff like that yeah. in Barnet. I was quite lucky and boring wood I'd played for. So, Amazing. yeah, so they just came along and that was it. Sadly, you know, it didn't work out because I broke one of my ankles, fractured one of my ankles in a training session. Really? In a so, game. Wait, so, so it was in a training session that it happened? Yeah, no, I fractured one of my ankles in a game. Yeah. I think it was, I'm not sure which one, it was left or right, but I've, I can't remember specifically. But I fractured that. Then three months or two months later, I was back and I was training. And we were mm-hmm. playing against Plymouth Argyle on the Saturday and I was starting. I'd been told, I'd been tipped off by one of the players, you're going to start yeah. against Plymouth. And um, I fractured my ankle, my other ankle in the training session. Spent the time again on the treatment table and in the end I was, I was too much of a liability to keep on when the new manager came along. So it was time for me to go. And do you remember kind of the moment where you knew, okay, this isn't going to happen now? And did it, like, how did it, how did it make you feel when you were like, you know, you got the dream of becoming a footballer and then it was like, actually, this isn't going to happen? I was, I was truly devastated. Yeah. Devastated. I bet. Because I tried, I never went on holiday, Jen. Yeah. I never did. I never went, you know, when other people go on holidays through the summer, I never, I trained. Yeah. I trained through the entire closed summer of, a closed season of every summer. Yeah. Because I hated pre-season training. I hated the intensity of it. And I hated trying to get back in, in shape. So I kept fit the whole time. And and how long, I mean, because you said that you ended up going to Mallorca and entering a talent yeah. show. So was there like a period of time where you were like, I don't know what to do with my life now. What's going to happen? Like, did you, and how did you pick yourself up? And like, how did you go to Mallorca and what happened? Within a couple of weeks, well, I came out, I came out of the, the when I got let go by the new manager, a guy called Fred Callahan, um, I came out of that and I, we sat in the car. And my friend was giving me a lift home and Bob said to me, oh, don't worry about it, Brad. Come on. Listen, season's nearly over now. We're going to have a, let's go and have a holiday. Yeah. And I said, oh, okay, fair enough. And seven of us, just only two players and five other friends, yeah. went on holiday to a place called Calamasquita, Mallorca. Okay. And... I was one of the guys in the team as well that always used to mess around and do impressions and stuff. And I so, can imagine. Yeah, and, though, and so I entered the talent competition as normal wisdom and won it. So, and I got Did us, you? I got us free, free champagne. And when I say champagne, I use that term very loosely back in the day. <laughs> it was free for the rest of the week. Amazing. And, and we all got, we all got had a great old sessions on that. And then 
after the talent competition, someone come up to me and my mate Bob said to me after I'd won, he said, Brad, you've got to get in the show with some. Really? You've got to get in the show yeah. He said, forget football. You've got to get in the showbiz. And I went, yeah. And I still have aspirations of going places with football. I could yeah. get over the injury. You know, I could maybe better myself. But when I realised you weren't going to play for Arsenal England, for me it was like That's a no-brainer. Yeah. And now, Jenny, now, today, I've, I've said this to many of my friends, I wish I'd never kicked a ball in my life. Really? Yeah, because nowadays at 60, I'm now suffering the knees and ankles. I mean, my fitness, my general fitness, thank God, is good. Yeah. But my knees and ankles. My wife's got a great saying. She always says, you never see a couch potato in the osteopaths. True. <laughs> Very true. So what happened was, at the end of the holiday in Calumet, it was Holiday Club Continental. So yeah. one of the entertainment staff, Blue Coats, said, why don't you become a Blue Coat? And I said, how do you do that? And they said, well, you simply apply. Yeah. Um, because your footballing skills, your old footballing days, you could teach football and you could become part of the entertainment team. So I went home, applied. I went to uh, Tottenham Court Road for an audition. Yeah. And uh, I got in. And that was it. And what a brilliant story. I mean, so before you'd enter that talent show, could would you ever have thought that, you know, being in the entertainment industry and stuff would have been a career for you? Or was it just thing that you were just like, yeah, as you said, you did on the football pitch, you did with your mates? Yeah, no, I just thought, well, you know, I'm one of the, I'm a kitchen comic. That'll be, that'll do me. One of the lads larking and roaming about, you know. And in those days, Jen, I, you know, in those days, I wasn't even, you didn't even need a drink to get yeah. a bit of much courage. You just, that was it. This is all really great because I love moments like this because we can really take it back and say, okay, if you hadn't have broken your ankle, yeah. where do you think you'd be now? So if that moment hadn't have happened, you carried on playing for Brentford, where do you think Bradley would be now? I know exactly where I'd be. I'd be a coach. I was asked by... I was, I really? Was told by, yeah, I'd be told by the lads, you know, you should take your badges, Brad. And, I, and do you know what? I was so disillusioned because I'd been let go, a bit selfish really, and a bit yeah. sort of throwing my pram, toys out of the pram. I went, no, forget it. I don't want that. I wish I'd now taken my badges because it's not necessarily being a coach. I might have been an assistant coach. Mm -hmm. I'd still be involved in football, which I love. I mean, yeah. I love taking part in soccer aid every year yeah. for TV. You know, I'm just one of the backroom staff, but I love it being with the lads. And, the, yeah. and I'm a lot, of, a lot of pro players are my old friends, you know. Yeah, well, it's so, but it's amazing to think because as you say, you'd be doing something you love, but it's so different to what you're doing now. And what I love is that you can piece, you know, if you hadn't have gone to Mallorca after you'd broken your leg, if you hadn't have entered the yeah. talent show and like all those things. And as you said, like going into Pontins is probably what like drove you to be like, actually, let's do this. Absolutely. Absolutely. True. So true. Amazing. Oh, I love that moment so much because, as you say, it's nice to know that, you know, if you had and have broken your ankle, you would have still been doing something you think that you love. But, but ultimately, you would not be where you were today. Uh Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. 
like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Um, so your second moment is, um, you've said doing Chroma, where everyone told you not to, but you got yeah. your first job in telly. So Chroma, which I now know is a town in Norfolk, where you did your first theatre show. So do you want to explain how you offered it and why were people telling you not to do it? Well, because the Chroma was very famous for what's called the end of the peer show mm -hmm. and very old fashioned and to some seemingly outdated. But what it did have, I didn't realise at the time, was a very amazing following, and yeah. a, a very true following of people and still does today. And it's the last of the end of the peer shows. There are no more. They, yeah. This is it. And anyway, whilst the big stars of the day were doing this and doing that, um, in 1986, I turned professional uh, and I did a little show down on the South Coast, touring around the working man's clubs with a comedian called Charlie Days. And I was the host and compare of it. And um, I gave up my job. I went back into the factory, by the way, after finishing. Oh, Blue did you? Ah, okay. I went back into the factory. I used to work for a company called Cafe Pacific. Yeah. I got offered this job for two weeks, two weeks down on the south coast and I just packed everything and just this job for two weeks and just went and, yeah and then uh, uh, a guy I was working with at the time called George Austin actually um, said there's this job going in Chroma at the end of the pier and they're looking for a comic at the end of the pier and I used to ask all my comics and we were doing gigs in working men's clubs and uh, I said what do you think about Chroma I said don't go there don't go there don't do it it's such it's like God's waiting room <laughs> it's, all old, it's all old people. It's terrible. It's like, it's not, it's not hip. It's not happening. And my guy said, Brad, listen, what it is, it's in a theatre. It's actually a theatre. It's not a nightclub. It's a theatre yeah. with a small band, proper theatre workings. You'll learn out everything about the theatre. All there is to know it, it'll take you, you'll take part in what's called shainers. And no one now knows what a shainer is. And a shainer is a scene in which you go on stage and you sing and dance with other members of the cast and it uh -huh. depicts the story. It's okay. only a five-minute segment yeah. and, you stop and then the singer comes on and then you do another shine and the top of the girl, and that's how it works. The entrepreneur at the time, the impresario that, running, that was running Chroma was a, a man called Richard Condon. Mm -hmm. Anyone who's in the industry now will remember Dick Condon. He's yeah. no longer with us. But this guy was a genius. My manager at the time, a guy called, or my agent at the time, a guy called George Austin, sold me to him blind, completely blind. Yeah. So Dick Condon said, no, I need to see him work. And George said, well, he's in, he's in Norfolk. He's in Norfolk on Saturday. He's at Caster Holiday Park. Go and watch him. Yeah. And Dick Condon couldn't get there. And he went, I don't know what to do, but now I'm struggling for a comic. And George Austin said, look, employ him. Yeah. If he don't work out, let him go, replace him. So without even seeing me, Dick Condon booked me blind for a theatre show. No telly, no YouTube, yeah. no phone, nothing. Yeah, nothing. Hadn't seen or anyway. And I went into rehearsals the first day, met the great Dick Condon, and I met the director, a man called Robert 
uh, Marlo, who is now dead, sadly. And cha- that changed my life. Yeah. Completely changed my life. All of a sudden, I was part of a, a theatre ensemble and um, I loved it. Yeah. It, this is where I was born to be. What a brilliant story, because I feel like, I mean, one thing I wanted to ask you, so you say that people were kind of telling you not to do this because, you know, it just wasn't the right thing. Are you someone then that like, do you listen to your gut or do you, how do you kind of make decisions when a lot of people are telling you not to do something? I think it's all about gut, unless it's someone with extensive, and I mean extensive uh, experience, Mm -hmm. you've got to listen to your gut. Totally. Those people that were telling me not to do Chroma had never been to Chroma. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah, and you'd never and you'd never be where you are today. I mean, how did how did your first job in TV then come about from doing that show? I was in I was in Chroma, and a guy came from Anglia Telly, and then wanted uh, someone to do a comedy show, host a comedy show on Anglian Telly. Yeah, and that was my first, and I think that was nineteen eighty six or nineteen eighty seven. Amazing. I mean, like if we really drill it down, if you maybe hadn't have done that show, would you have had a career in TV? I don't. I, it's very tricky to say, Jen. It's very tricky to say because I don't, I probably not, because I'd have been like a regular club comic. Yeah. And who knows where that would have led. I got into theatres then so early in my career. Yeah. And I'd always set, here's the thing I'd always set myself five year goals. So if I, you've got to give yourself a realistic time to get yeah, going. Yeah, I love that. But when I was 20, when I was 26, I got, I turned professional when I was 26. I thought, you know what? I started out doing holiday camps anyway when I was mm-hmm. 22, going around, but doing a, a gig here and a gig there. I yeah. wasn't in residency. I was on the road then as a stand-up comic. I remember when I was 22, I thought, you know what? If I'm not working in the theatre by the time I'm 27, I'm packing it in. That's it. I got the job at 26. So from really? 26, if I don't get a job on telly by the time I'm 31, I'm out. I got the job by the time I was 28. When I was 28, if I said, if I don't get a job in a, in a big show, a big named show, by mm-hmm. the time I'm out. And I did. And I kept myself. Always did it. But what the, the, I think the trick here was as well, in, when in, 19, in, 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 in 1986, when I got into Chroma, they did 86, 87 and 88 on the bounce. Three years. Started at the top of the uh, bottom of the bill, made my way to the top of the bill. Okay, no big names on the bill, mm-hmm. all right? So you're not in anyone's shadow. Yeah. 89, I went to Blackpool. 90, I went to Blackpool. 91, I went to Weymouth. No big names on the bill. So I did six years of residency in summer season where I was, I was honing my skills in the theatre and I was, I was doing that sort of stuff. And it was in Blackpool where I was seen by uh, the people from Desert Connor and that yeah. was it. And that was it. It's it's such a brilliant um, moment because it's more of a sliding doors decision, I guess, because, you know, when we really drill it down to it, that one decision to do that actually propelled into so many other things, which is so great. And I guess fast forward many, many, many years, because I just want to ask, because I think the chase is such a big part of your life. And you mentioned it before. How did you get your job on the chase? And did you think it would be as big as it has been today? I was doing a show called Law and Order. Yes. I love acting. Acting's great. But for any actors listening now or young actors, it is categorically the most boring job you will ever do. <laughs> all right? Because so much waiting around. You sit around all day. Now, yeah. I can't do that. And I remember 
So ITV used to be a building in the Gray's Inn Road in London. Mm-hmm. And I happened to be in the Gray's Inn Road in London. And I was in the Italian cafe sitting outside the ITV building. And I ran, I rang, I telephoned the head of daytime. Yeah. A lady called Alison Sharman. And I rang Ali Sharman. I said, hey, Ali. And I did a show for her called Spin Star that had been decommissioned. Yeah about six or seven months before. So I rang Ali Sharman and I said, hey, Ali. I said, it's Brad. She said, hey, Brad, how are you? I said, I'm good. I said, listen, I just want you to know I'm I'm not out of the entertainment game, you know. Yeah, now, I still want to do I'm it. Acting, now, because I've done Corrie, yeah. I'm doing Law and Order. I'm not out of the entertainment game. If anything comes up, please let me know or, or can we have a cup of tea and a chat about it? Yeah. And she said... Sure, sure, you can, yeah. I said, what about now? (laughs) And she went, what what do you mean? Where are you? I said, I'm sitting outside the building. And she said, said, "Um, yeah, okay, come in. So I got in, they sent someone down, give me a pass. I went up up to the fifth floor. I went to Ali Sharman's office. Sitting next to Ali Sharman is a a lady called Diane Howie. Yeah. They used to run ITV Daytime. And I sat in, in, sat in Ali Sharma's office. She said, well, I thought you were an actor now. I said, look, Ali, I said, it is so tedious sitting around. I said, you know, when we can knock some shows out, let's crash bang wallet with the shows. I said, it's, you've got to think about that. I said, we can really turn some stuff over. She went, yeah, yeah. yeah all right, I get it, I get it. She said, I get it. So you still don't, you don't mind just still in the market? She said, yes. well, hang on, hang on. And she put a finger on the desk and she went, die. will you bring that A4 piece of paper in for that new format? So Diane Howie comes in. Hey, Brad. Hey, Diane. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Said uh, and Ali hands it over. She says, "Look at this." And I looked at it. It's called the Chase. And I, she said, <clears throat> "What do you think?" I said, "I read it." I went, "Oh, that sounds good." I said, um, "When are you going to do the run through for it?" She said, "Well, in about in about a week's time." I said, "I'll do it for you." She went, "What the run through? Normally <laughs> you get yes, yeah, so, yeah. producer just to do the run through." I went, "Yeah, I'll do it for you." She went, "Are you serious?" I said, "I promise you, I'll do it." She said, all right, if you want. I said, can I go away, learn this, and put some language to it? You know, the things you say on the show. She said, yeah. I took it home, went back. I did the, uh, we did the office, we did the run-through in front of a couple of executives and stuff like that. And at the other end of the table was sitting Sean Wallace, the Dark Destroyer, and the Beast. And uh, they were the only chasers we had at the time. time, And I said, he he said, his mate, what's your name? He said, Mark LeBet. I said, that's Beast in French, isn't it? He went, yeah, sometimes. I said, you're now the Beast. Oh, I I love uh, that. And I said said to Sean Wallace, I said, what do you do? He said, I'm a barrister by trade. I said, yeah. I said, what sports do you like? I said, boxing. Who's your favourite boxer? Nigel Ben. I said, you're now the Dark Destroyer. Because Nigel Ben was called the Dark Destroyer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, oh, I love all that. So now they've got the two nicknames straight away. And then um, we did the show and and basically that's it. At the end of the run-through, I said, I could actually beat the pair of you. And they went, no, you couldn't. No, I, said, you I, could. I said, I could beat you. I said, my general knowledge is second to none. I could beat you. And they went, that'd be dark. <laughs> right, let's go. Let's go. And I took on uh, Sean Wallace yeah. at the time. But what had happened is the sheet with all the questions and the answers on was in front of me, but face down. So you could see them. 
I could see backwards <laughs> what the answer was. So I absolutely, and I knew it was there. And I oh absolutely God. thrashed them. And I said, yeah, that's how easy it is. That's how easy it is. So I said, so the general public can easily win. if yeah. They went, right, we'll have it. And that's it. And mate, what a brilliant story. And it's brilliant because you you made your luck in that. Like you rang, you got there. And it, it's so great how how popular and sex come. I mean, I have to say, I do not know how you ask the questions in such a... I was watching it a couple of days ago. And yeah. this, how would you ask questions in such a speed? It's incredible. Well, you, 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 that becomes like a muscle in your brain. You've definitely given a lot of inspiration about, you know, pushing yourself to go through all that. that. What a brilliant story. And your last moment is also one that I'm so excited to chat about. So you said that um, you your moment is staying at Wembley after a charity football match and having a drink with Ray Winstone. So oh. you said you were coming home and you stopped for a drink with Ray and he gave you some advice, which you immediately implemented. And what happened was pretty amazing. So I've been really excited to hear. I've been on the edge of my seat knowing what oh. happened after this drink. So tell us why this was your sliding doors moment. OK, this is this is extraordinary. So here we go. Right. So we play. We played in the Celebrity Cup final in the middle at halftime of the actual Cup final. Yeah, I think it was Chelsea versus Middlesbrough. Anyway, we're upstairs. We will finish watching the game. I'm on my way home. I say, "See you, lads." Blah, blah. I'm off. I'm off. And Ray says to me, "You we going?" I said, "Yeah, I've got to get off." He said, "Yeah, come and have a drink." So we, I sat and had, stood and had a drink with Ray at the bar. And Ray said to me. Uh, Brad, you've done all the stand-up comedy. You've done all the quiz shows and the game shows and stuff like that. He said, why don't you try and acting? He said, there's some great comics that have made really good actors. People yeah. like Dave King. You won't remember Dave King, but Dave King and all these people were good. And I went, hmm. He said, uh, why don't you try it? Give it a try. And, yeah, I'd acted years and years ago, tried mm -hmm. to do stuff, but it didn't quite work. I said, yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. Now, I believe in this. This is what I believe in. Mm -hmm. There is no time like the present. Totally not. Procrastination is the curse yep. of the working man. Totally agree. So, that's on the Saturday. On the Monday, I ring my manager at the time. I said to Tony, and I was in the doldrums at the time. I was sort yeah. of just drifting along, doing the odd show here. I didn't mm -hmm. really have a series up and running. And Tony Clayman said... What's up? I said, I was with Ray Winston on Saturday. He said, I've got to try acting. And I said, what do you want to act in? He said, what do you want to act in? I said, I don't know. Anything. What want to act. Get around of? He said, right. Now, this is a light entertainment and concert promoting. I said, yeah. He said, right, leave it to me. By Thursday, on Wednesday, I had a phone call. He said, right, I've got you a gig. I said, is it acting? He went, sort of. Okay. He said, they'd like you to go in and read mm -hmm. the narrative on a new film that's being made by Guy Ritchie. Amazing. I said, right, what's the film? He said, it's a film called Snatch. He said, and what you need to do is all you've got to do, Brad, is go in and read the narrative. It's for a casting director called Lucinda Sison. And I go, right, okay. So I go in and they're sitting around the table, a table read, and I've got a... I'm doing the, it's six o'clock in the morning. Yeah. All Russian guards are outside. Da, 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 da. Then Jenny says, and then the actors start going. Speaking, yeah. I, I'm reading the narrative. 
Yeah. There was Goldie, Vinnie Jones. Incredible. My weren't there. Jason Statham, Stephen Graham. They're all around the table and me. Lucy and Sison said, look, one of the actors hasn't turned up. Could you please read in for this actor? And I went, of course. Yeah. No problem at all. So I read in for the actor. And halfway through the show, I then got to stand up and have a bit of contretemps with Jason Statham. Yeah. And I ad-libbed the line. I ad-libbed the line, oh, shut up, shut your face, or I'll cut your Jacobs off. <laughs> right? Yeah. Now, Jacobs, cream crackers, yeah. obviously got it right, was my dad's favourite saying. So I mm-hmm. just put it in. I just threw it in. Yeah. I then see Guy Ritchie go over to someone, say, whisper in their ear as soon as that's said, so that is now in the film, the finished product. Really? Alan Ford, Alan Ford says that line in the film. Amazing. Right? Okay. They'll all deny it. This is absolutely true. They'll think they'll made it up. It's absolutely true. Fine, so, I believe you. So at the end of the read-through, Guy Ritchie comes up to me and he says, that was a great read. Why aren't you in the film? I said, I don't know. Put me in it. He said, he said uh, right, leave that with me. I think you should be in the film. I go, okay. Fast forward two months later, I leave it two months later, whatever it is. So they start to film in. I get a phone call from LA from Vinnie Jones, who I'd not, I've known since he was a boy. Yeah. From the same area. And, uh, and Vinnie says, Brad, I'm so sorry. <clears throat> they can't have you in the film. I said, why? He said, because they found out, Guy Ritchie's found out that you've been in the Wheel of Fortune, you hosted the Wheel of Fortune, and you're not going to bring credibility to the part. Really? And I go, oh, okay, no problem. No yeah. worries. Don't worry about it. It's fine. All cool. That's the way it goes. Yeah. I said to my wife at the time, uh, she's still my wife now, when I said <laughs> At the Donna. time, yeah. I said to Donna, uh, that's the way it goes. Never mind. Oh, never mind. What a shame. Fast forward two years. Mm-hmm. That same company decided to make Lockstock and a fistful, the whole series for Channel 4. Yeah. So they make a series. They ring me and said, Brad, we feel a bit bad over what happened with the film. Can you come in and read for a part? So I go in and read for the part, but I don't read for the right part. They go, no, not so sure about that. What about this? And I get the part of a, a homicide builder called Larry Harmless. Yeah. And in the episode I'm in, in the episode I'm in, I get my stunt double gets thrown out of a fourth story window in the Elephant and Castle. So I'm standing there watching this thing go on. A bloke comes and stands next to me and he goes, Hello, dear. I go, Hello. All right. Yeah. He says, Yeah. He says, um, he says, I'm Tony Wood. I said, Oh, Tony, what? I said, I'm Bradley Walsh. He went, No, I know you are. <laughs> he said, um, He said, I'm one of the executive producers on this show. He said, I've got to say, we're thrilled with what you're doing. He said, um, we had no idea that you'd be like this. And I said, like what? He said, well, do you enjoy acting? I said, I said, there ain't a lot of money in it. I said, yeah. but I do enjoy it. Yeah. yeah. Too. He said, would you consider doing any more? And I went, sure. Why not? And he went, well, that's great. He said, uh, he said, somewhere along the line, I'll be in touch. I went, all right, lovely okay. to see you. And he leaves. Yeah. That's six, seven months later. I get a phone call. Brad, they want you to be in the bill. Ah, oh, the bill. And I went, oh, okay. So they've written a new part for you. And the part is a is a is a part called Charlie Valentine. And I went, okay. So, but they, the head of continuing drama at ITV would like you to go in and meet him. 
So I said, sure. So I go in and meet the head of continuing drama. Who is it? It's Tony Wood, who was standing with me. Amazing. Saying, I'll keep my eye on yeah. you. Yeah. He said, I told you. And as you said before, you just never know, do you? You never no. know who you're going to meet and you've got to give your all to everything. Exactly. And I said, wow. I said, oh, blimey, you kept your word. He said, why wouldn't I? He said, do you love what you do? And he said, we've written this part. It's a special part. He said, uh, we think you'd be brilliant in it. Brilliant in it. I said, oh, okay. He said, and uh, that's that'll be Charlie Valentine in the bill. Is that okay? And I went, um, yeah. He said, what's, what's the matter? You sound a bit reticent. I said, well... Not being funny, but it's the bill, isn't it? He said, what's that got to do with it? I said, well, I'm sorry, I don't want to be rude, but I think it's a bit of a, everyone who's ever been in a soap or any of it ends up in the bill. It's what you do after rather than before. Well, I'm not sure. And he went, and what's the matter with that? I said, well, nothing. I said, it's great, but, you know, he said, "Uh, do you want the part or don't you? And I went, I'm not sure I do. He went, oh, okay. He said, well, then, do you know what? He said, I'm leaving this job as head of continuing drama. Yeah. And I said, oh, are you? He said, yeah. He said, "Um, and I'm going back to what I do best, and that is producing. And I said, fine, good. He said, "Uh, I'm not going to say much, but would you ever move north? And I went, I don't know, what for? He said, would you do something like Coronation Street? I went, I don't know. He said, well... I'm going to become the new boss of Coronation Street. Let me get my feet under the table and you'll be Mike Baldwin's nephew. What about that? And I went, okay. Amazing. That's fine. And he said, well, you don't sound too enthusiastic. I said, well, it's all come as a bit of a shock, quite frankly. He said, but you do Coronation Street. I said, I do Coronation Street in a heartbeat. You're kidding me, Yeah. And he said, okay. And then I went home, said to my missus, said to Donna, they want me to do Coronation Street. He said, Brad, you've got to do that, mate. You've got to do that. Yeah. And I said, I said, wow, okay. And true to his word, I then had dinner with him and he said, this is what's going to happen. He said, I'll put you I'll put you in there. He said, you'll come in around about April time of next year. He said, you'll be Mike Baldwin's nephew. You'll have a, an, a sensational storyline and you'll be in a position where you can then negotiate your own contract yeah. after that. He said, because the character will be so big. And it's exactly it was so true to word. And I said, how long are you staying for? He said, two years. I said, I'll stay for two years. Two years. That's it. What an amazing chain of events. Like, yeah. because, I mean, not that we want to give too much credit to Ray, because you're actually a very good actor in yourself. But, you know, that you, you took that advice, you implemented yeah. it. And I mean, what's also brilliant is, is that, you know, you fell into something that you weren't, you didn't know you were good at, but actually you were brilliant at it. And I think that's what's, crazy about this story I mean do you think if you hadn't have got the advice from Ray you would have tried acting like do you, do you really think that's like a really key moment for you I don't I don't I don't know Jenny I can't probably I wouldn't have pushed myself so quickly maybe and said right yeah let's go I need a job let's go yeah maybe I, because I was looking for a job and stuff like that this is what I love about all of your moments is, is that you really can look back and piece together. If that yeah. hadn't have happened, that wouldn't have happened, that wouldn't have yeah. happened, that wouldn't have happened. And as I said, you've done so many amazing things. And I do think we have to put a lot of it down to you as a person. As you say, you've always made your own luck. You've always gone for something, but you've always given your all, as you said, to everything that you've done. And I really think it's the mixture of the two. You've got to. Yeah. 
A hundred percent. So reflecting on all the, the three moments that we've discussed, if you had to say, if one of those moments really hadn't have happened, I wouldn't be where I was today, which, which one would you say? I'd say it has to be uh, the football injuries then going to Pontins. Yeah. Going on holiday. If that, that early, they all play a major part, but if that hadn't have been, you know, the football injury, having to pack up football mm-hmm. and then finding something else to do. You know, maybe I'd have gone back into the factory, remained as a factory worker. Yeah. Then, of course, it shut down. And, you know, you know, back in the day we were making helicopters. Now they're making flying broomsticks in that factory. Yeah. You know, I, I, I just think it's I think it's the football injury that, 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 that really did it. The, the, yeah. Yeah, who knows? Oh, well, Bradley, it's been so great to chat to you and really appreciate your time. And as I said, I, I, your life is incredible. You're incredible. You do so much. So excited to see the new series coming out later this yes. year and the chase and everything else that you do. Yeah. Is there another series of Breaking Dad coming out anytime yeah, soon? Well, I think, yeah, we're going back on the road, I think, in September. That'll then air, September and November, that'll then air in January. So, you know, it's it's all it's all... It's all, all go. Long, yeah. Thank you so much, Bradley. Lovely talking to you. God bless. Bye. Cheers. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Sliding Doors. If you've enjoyed our chat and found it inspiring, I would love it if you could rate, review, share and subscribe. Thank you so much. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.